You're listening to DraftKings Network. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Maze, you're back. You were off the grid. I was. I went to an undisclosed location. No NBA on this island that I was on. Did not exist. Oh, so it's an island. No, no, it's an island. Triangulated his coordinates to one of the billion islands on Earth. Yes. I like the idea of, of Maze going to Alcatraz. <laughs> back in the bag and everything. <laughs> my vacation. It's my vacation. Just for the weekend, you know. The rock. Escape room. Pulling an Al Capone. Do you feel like you missed anything? Any questions for us about what happened while you were off the grid? I got back and I saw that you guys did apparently some sort of basketball Illuminati Without me? Is that correct? Did you go straight to Twitter to record an episode with no production at all? We cut out the middleman. And I got people complaining about Amin's audio quality? Wow. I mean, I wasn't speaking into a microphone. I had AirPods on. Ah, there you go. The production value was not on point. We were missing you, Maze, and missing all of your tips and your interjections. Just wasn't the same. That's why we're doing this. We didn't want to stray too far from the format that created this audience. We're not going to do too many of those, but it was such a big moment waking up on Saturday morning. Ruined my Saturday. It was 8.30 my time. 6.30 a.m. your time, I mean. Yes. You're bleary-eyed waking up to this giant conspiracy exploding on Reddit and then overflowing onto the social channels that Jaron Jackson Jr. was the subject of a conspiracy plot involving his fake blocks and fake steals, his fake stocks, blocks, what have you. Bleals. And within two hours of Amin and I diving into the video, diving into the numbers, diving into actual reporting with a former stack keeper, we debunked this whole thing. It was a total fraud. The whole conspiracy theory was just bunk. Wait a second. So are we branching out here? We don't just identify conspiracy theories. We squash fake ones. We've been doing this, man. We've been doing it because, Maze, here's the thing. When you do something as impeccably as we do what we do, it inevitably attracts copycats. Oh. People think they can do this. Oh, I see a conspiracy. Oh, 
and your third eye isn't open, or if it is, it's just cross-eyed. So we have to be that buffer to let people know, look, we're not just throwing shit at a wall. We are identifying real-life conspiracies that are happening right before your eyes, and you just don't want to see it. No one was more incentivized at 6.30 in the morning on a Saturday to believe this shit than us. You were heading out to the lake, getting out before the sun rises, casting that line out. You were fishing for that conspiracy. I was so overjoyed at this. I was like, okay, here we go. And I sat down and I watched every single one of his blocks and steals. And I realized at some point, this person has no idea what they're talking about. Because I didn't look at his examples. I just said, I'm going to watch everything and check the ones that I think are questionable or whatever. After that came up fruitless. I think I described Jaron Jackson as the purest blocking mother <laughs> walking the face of the earth right now. Every single block was just like, I don't know how you could even find a gray area there. So then I went and looked at the examples and I realized, oh, this isn't a case of things that have been misidentified. This is a case of people having opinions about things they have no idea what they're looking at. Just goes to show, somebody says, I watch all the games. Doesn't mean they know what they're watching. And this Redditor, while I applaud him, noticing on discrepancy between home and road, all I can say is, you, sir, do not know what you're watching when you're watching basketball. I mean, only certain people have the capacity to do their own research. (laughs) I like that line. I applaud that he tried to do his homework and give examples, but those examples did not fly. They did not. And I applaud the people who hit up our Gmail account, basketballilluminati at gmail.com. All 8 billion of them. Flooded. We had to open up a second account just to deal with all of the overflow of people saying, hey, you guys should look into us. Oh my God, did you see this? My Instagram, Twitter, blown up. My text, blown up with this very story. I get it. It was fascinating. The idea that there was a conspiracy unfurling in Memphis to get the depoy. But as we talked about on the show, there are several lines of fail safes, like actual lines that extend to Secaucus, the NBA office, to verify the information that is coming in. And we got some information on that from someone who had been a stat keeper for over a decade in the NBA. It reminds me of the episode we did on Tim Donaghy's documentary, the Netflix Operation Flagrant Foul, where people were so gullible about everything that Tim Donaghy said to cover his own ass that people just believed everything he said without actually verifying it. Derek Stafford, apparently, according to Tim Donaghy, hated Pat Riley and the Miami Heat so much, had that ax to grind against Pat Riley and was going to stick it to him every chance he got. And that's why he said... Bet on the Knicks to win the game. But it turns out it was actually Tim Donnie that was overwhelmingly in the tank for the Knicks that night, blowing a bunch of foul calls against the Miami Heat. And if you actually did your homework, if you actually did your research and watched the film and cross-checked it with the numbers, you would have known that that was full of shit. So I implore you out there, for all the Illumination citizens who see a conspiracy theory Make sure you send it to us. We want to vet it, but make sure you keep your third eye open because there's a lot of misinformation out there and it didn't just end with Jaron Jackson Jr. and that Reddit post. You know what? Let's get the show on the road. My assignment, uncover why the association inspires more conspiracy theories in volume and salience than any other U.S. sport. You've heard of the Illuminati. The truth is out there, but so are lies. 
Your eyes can deceive you. Don't trust them. The NBA has always been controlled by about eight people. Denial is the most predictable of all human responses. If you're only using 10% of your brain, you don't even know that you're using 10% of your brain. The NBA Illuminati. If coincidences are just coincidences, why do they feel so contrived? The Illuminati. But you start to follow the money, and you don't know where the f*** is going to take you. It is unspoken. They have influence among other players. The NBA Illuminati. I don't have time for your convenient ignorance. Maybe I'm a conspiracist now as well. That's but... all it took. Oh, we got books, we got schools. You saw a video on YouTube. <laughs> Why am I, sir? You've never used them before. We are the basketball Illuminati. <laughs> This is Basketball Illuminati. I am Tom Haberstroh, as always joined by the five-star Illuminati generals, Amin Hassan and producer Anthony Mays. We have a lot to get to. Nate Jones, Jones on the NBA, you know him on Twitter. NBA agent, marketer extraordinaire, who also is the co-founder of Moving Souls with Damian Lillard, and he's got an ambassador and key investor in Chris Paul and multiple NBA players behind that. Really cool product, but we're going to talk about Nikola Jokic and load management and all that stuff. Injuries and shoes, all that with Nate Jones here coming up in a bit, but first... Listening to the agenda with Tom Haverstrow and Amin El Hassan. Yeah, I know that LeBron James says he needs to go to acting school. <laughs> Maybe that was genuine. That wasn't acting, Tom. That was 100% the genuine article as he rolled around on the ground and grabbed his head and ran looking for salvation from somebody around him but couldn't find it anywhere. It's my favorite LeBron move when. He looks like he's looking for his mom, but he just can't find her. Last time we saw this was with J.R. Smith during the NBA Finals, with J.R. <laughs> Smith driven out the clock despite the game not being over. And LeBron just was confused. He was befuddled. He looked at J.R. Smith, he's looking somewhere else for help, and then finally he just kind of just drops his hands. Maze, you missed it, but this was... It was a huge game and tons of people watched it. I mean, it was Lakers Saturday prime time on ABC. It was an incredible game back and forth. Lakers held the league late, but Celtics came on on their home floor and LeBron has this moment driving to the rim and Jason Tatum slaps him on the wrist on the arm and LeBron comes up short right there. Staring at the play is our friend. One of the Goble brothers, Jason Goble, mm. and he watched the whole play Moments before he had a late whistle calling an and one foul that sent Jalen Brown to the line to tie the game up. And man, it wasn't just LeBron James throwing a fit. I mean, it was every Laker fan on the planet throwing a fit after the game. And some non-Laker fans, by the way. The amount of people say officiating in the NBA is broken. I'm like, guys, they missed the call. They missed it. Yeah, it was a bad call. Sometimes I feel like I'm missing something. When I'm like, all right, that's a bad non-call, missed call. It is not endemic. I did radio with Rick Kamla the other day. Rick Kamla said it ruined the game for him. I said, Rick, we play five more minutes of basketball after that. Yeah. Ruin the game? 
I get if you're a Laker fan because you lost, you could say it ruined the game. But for an impartial observer, we could say, oh, that's a bad non-call. They're like, all right, well, the game goes on. Like, that would be like saying Michael Jordan ruined game six of the 98 finals because he shoved Byron Russell out of the way and nobody called it. <laughs> Don't let them hear that in Utah, I mean. Yeah. There's so much to talk about here, but I want to talk about Eric Lewis, an NBA finals referee who, after the game put out a statement to the pool reporter. So this is how it works. NBA referees do not go to press conferences. The NBA does not do press conferences for referees. They don't answer questions from the media. They have to answer a pool reporter, a designated media member. There's one for every game. They have to request to talk to an NBA referee. And it is not a number two referee or a number three. It is always the crew chief so Jason Goble cannot answer the question, even though he was the guy who missed that call and called the very late Jalen Brown one. Yeah. It's Eric Lewis who has to basically say, yeah, we, we missed that. Are you amused, Tom, at all that for us as the Illuminati, those of us with our third eyes open, we knew the culprit was Goble. All along. It was another brick in this global wall of ineptitude or whatever you want to call it. But poor Eric Lewis is the one who gets his name dragged through the mud, his family attacked, false statements about what the Celtics record is while he's roughing. All of this stuff falls on Eric Lewis, even though it wasn't his fault. We need to talk about this because Eric Lewis, his family got dragged through the mud to the point where his wife, who's a women's college basketball head coach, had to delete her Twitter after the game because of harassment from Lakers fans. She has a big platform on Twitter and Lakers fans were so upset. And I get it. The emotions as a fan, like you want to direct some of that anger and frustration and bitterness to something. Lakers fans took it out on Eric Lewis and his family because of a tweet. And I want to peel back the layers a little bit. The misinformation campaign that has gone on in the NBA Starting with Balsack, I got to say, we brought Balsack onto the show and he pulled back the curtain on why he wanted to create this account that did obviously fake quotes because he felt that the media was too gullible, that the fans were too gullible in taking an obviously falsified tweet and running with it and not doing their own homework, not doing their own research. Mm -hmm. So what happened that night was a tweet was posted by Lakers fan account called Lake Show Yo at 825 Pacific, 1125 Eastern. And the tweet said, I need NBA official Eric Lewis investigated. <laughs> investigative is a really great word. Yeah. Investigated expeditiously. The Celtics, and this is the key part, the Celtics are 36 and two in games he's refed since 2020. 36 and two. It's a big number. Where the hell did he come up with that? It's not possible. It's way too many games. Yes. <laughs> He's ref 38 Celtics games. All right. There's 80 referees in the league and 30 teams. And the stat is going back to 2020. So where is this coming from? I actually did a search on this and it turns out 36 and two was the first time that that number was associated with Eric Lewis on Twitter. I did the forensics on this. However, there was another tweet five minutes before Lake Show Yo mm -hmm. from the blue checked account, Buttcrack Sports. I mean, nice. Buttcrack Sports tweeted out that the Boston Celtics were not 
36 and two. They were 26 and two mm. with Eric Lewis as the official. So Lake Show Yo put a little extra on top because he felt like 26 and two wasn't stark enough. That's right. 26 and two is not convincing enough. It's 36 and two. But the 26 and two isn't even real. It's a satire. You took a satirical tweet and then embellished it even more. And that's what Snoop Dogg is retweeting and 8 million other fans around the world saw. 10,000 retweets and 70,000 likes on that Lake Show Yo fake tweet that was taken in parcel and spammed to Eric Lewis's wife's account because some fan found uh, her in a Celtics jersey during the finals or something like that and just took out their anger on her and said vicious things and your husband is 36 and 2 against the Celtics how dare you cheat the game it's a conspiracy the stat is actually 19 and 3 since 2020 Eric Lewis has ref 22 games of the Celtics and the Celtics are 19 and 3 to which you say that's actually pretty high pretty high number 19 and 3 until you peel back the layers again folks do your own research 19 and 3 but the Celtics were favored in 18 of those games. <laughs> so Vegas had them favored in 18 of those 22, and they actually won one more game than they were supposed to. That's not indicative of a grand conspiracy involving Eric Lewis and his allegedly Celtics loving family. That is not evidence. And it's certainly not 36 and two. So people, you need to understand here that there is more than meets the second eye, you need to open your third eye on this, that when those tweets go viral by Lakers fans, you need to make sure it is not buck crack sports that is establishing a misinformation campaign, man. That was a bad call from Jason Goble and the crew chief, Eric Lewis. It was not a great officiated game. Well, the official NBA refs account issued an apology, which I'm still trying to unpack who wrote this because the wording is so peculiar so over the top we are very 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 sorry at official nba refs like everyone else referees make mistakes not necessarily what you want to put out there is your opening statement we made one at the end of last night's game and that is gut-wrenching for us Ugh. this play will weigh heavily and cause sleepless nights as we strive to be the best referees we can be who wrote that Sleepless Nights? Sleepless Nights is the one that got me. They referred to a Washington Post article about the game, but I just love the idea that they were like, last night's game. There were other games going on. Yeah. You imagine if you're another team watching this being like, yeah. what are you talking about? The game. The big game. That was so extra. I haven't heard from them all season long, but there was a Lakers game, and now they feel the need to go over the top. Oh, we're going to lose a lot of sleep. Meanwhile, Jason Goble and Eric Lewis are working two nights later in the NBA. <laughs> what are we doing here? And I also looked this up. The last two-minute reports that the NBA puts out, the Lakers are getting so worked by the NBA, hated on by the NBA, that actually in the L2M reports, I reviewed every L2M, the 19 games that the Lakers are on L2M reports. Turns out that of the 34 missed decisions by referees, according to the NBA's audit, which there's some GMs out there and coaches and players who do not believe the L2M report. They don't trust it. But if you do take the NBA at their word, the Lakers have actually benefited, been helped ah. by poor decisions, missed decisions. Now that's something you ain't going to hear anywhere else. <laughs> of the 34 missed decisions by referees involving Lakers games this year, 
20 have helped the Lakers and 14 have hurt them. Not 36 and two against them. And not 23 and 27. Their record, <laughs> or 23, 28, whatever they are. Who cares? Some missed calls are worse than others. Like not every one of them is Jason Tatum slapping his hand as he's going to the basket at the end of regulation. There's differences between each call. They're not all the same. But this idea that there's this grand conspiracy against LeBron, against the Lakers, to try to, I don't know, force them to miss the playoffs. I don't even know what the narrative is that they're getting behind here. Yes. The narrative they're getting behind is, you know what would be great for ratings? If the Los Angeles Lakers and LeBron James aren't in it. Yeah. That's the math that someone is doing out there. That this would be great for TV ratings. Keep your third eye open. Make sure misinformation you snuff it out and you have a very cynical eye when something goes viral and Snoop Dogg is saying that Eric Lewis is 36 and two and needs to be investigative expeditiously. I could hear his voice saying it and it actually sounds pretty smooth in my head. Yeah. Way smoother than the way you're saying it right now. Let's hear it. No, it's in my head. <laughs> Theater of the mind. This episode is brought to you by sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at sax.com. You all think I'm late. Well, I'm not late. And I'm going to stay right here and fight for this lost cause. Even if this room gets filled with lies like these. And the tailors and all their armies come marching into this place. Somebody will listen to me. There's no better way to overpower a trickle of doubt than with a flood of naked truth. But the complexity and the gray lie not in the truth. But what you do with the truth once you have it. What is true and right is true and right for all. You and I both know that that's just not the truth. You can't handle the truth! It's too messy. Keeps them up nights. I'm here because in the end, the truth is worth the risk. Speak a little truth and people lose their minds. I'm a grown man. You can tell me the truth. Why is it people who want the truth never believe it when they hear it? So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something really outrageous. I'm going to tell the truth. Nate, I don't know if this is accurate, but... I'm just excited that you're working with Joel Embiid now because of his degeneration X. <laughs> that must have been so exciting for you to see on an NBA court. Prime time, guys feeling it. Yeah, I mean, like many children of the 80s 80s and 90s wrestling is american culture there's some people that just don't mess with it at all but it's a big part of most people's childhood that came up in that era so i'm not surprised that mpa players pay homage to this stuff at all what is this broad brush you're painting with you you're a wrestling fan you're like oh a lot of no you no i was a wrestling fan as a kid until for about 20 years, I stopped watching and then I started listening to this guy named Conrad Thompson. He's like the Dan Levitard of wrestling podcasts. He's built an empire with 
all these old wrestling executives, old wrestlers, and they just do amazing pods. They just tell stories. Mick Foley has a pod, a wrestling exec that was Vince McMahon's right-hand name. Bruce Pritchard has a pod. They're all great. So it got me back into the old stuff. Mm. Started watching it on Peacock. Then I watched the WrestleMania. Then I got pulled back in. My business partner's into it. Got pulled back into it. (laughs) It's it's everyone else. I got it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happened for 20 years. The Embiid thing is a great place to start because we just watched him destroy Jokic the other night. I mean, Saturday ABC games were epic. Yeah, I love them. You had the Celtics-Lakers game that went into overtime, a lot of controversy. And then you had the matinee, which was the 76ers and Nuggets, Nuggets being the best team in the West, and then Jokic versus Embiid. Because, for those who don't know that are listening, Nate is, if not the best marketer in the NBA player space, he has been around the internet since, what, the mid-2000s? I started a blog in 2004. I had a blog spot in 2004. Yeah. That's how I started meeting all the NBA media and stuff like that. Blogger.blogspot.com. Blog boys. Blogspot bros. Yes. Blog boys taking over the league. Definitely. <laughs> it was just a space for me to be able to talk about the league. But at the same time, I was working on an angle to get in representing players. I've always loved the NBA. Always loved the game itself. Playing the game. Watching the game. Magic Johnson is what made me fall in love with the game. Obviously, that dude is one of the best players ever. And then... The business side of it, I started to pick up on in 1996. That was the big free agent class after the game-changing CBA that they had. And pretty much every star player was a free agent. Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, Shaquille O'Neal, Reggie Miller, Gary Payton, all of them were free agents. And there was the first time in the sports section I would read and it would be about business and basketball. And I just started to learn about the salary cap and all that stuff. And it kind of pulled me in that direction. And then the off the court business being, you know, one of those kids that loved East Bay magazine and sneakers and following the commercials and all that stuff. So it's all led to me being in the place that I'm at now. You end up at Goodwin Agency, which is one of the most powerful agencies in sports, represented LeBron, KD, Dwight Howard. For those who are coming in late to the game on Dwight Howard, super duper star on and off the floor. That example that we had with missing wrestling for, you know, 10 years or whatever, if you would have came in with Dwight in 2013, you're like, this guy is not that great. But if you followed him his entire career, he's one of the greatest players ever. And the fact that they left him off the 75 year anniversary team was really wrong, in my opinion, no matter what you think of him personally, I think that was completely wrong. What is the Dwight Howard story for you? When you look back at how he turned into a heel where, you know, now he's playing overseas Mm -hmm. when a lot of his contemporaries and peers are still playing in the league. When did that turn where he kind of lost the conversation? You know, when Tom, why are you asking this question? You know, am I leading the witness here? Sorry. Yeah. You're setting me up. We worked with Dwight from the time he was drafted in 2004 as the number one pick all the way to end of the 2010 season. Yeah. Moments after that, I can't really call it, but the times that I worked with Dwight, he was always good. He was always polite, came from a good family, all those things. So I wasn't involved in his career in marketing and all that stuff after that. So I can't really, I can't really explain, but I think the worst thing he did to start all this is the way he handled the trade out of Orlando. Number one, I think people just stopped taking him seriously after that. And then he got to the Lakers, the most powerful fan base in the NBA, and kind of alienated that fan base. Not only did him and Kobe kind of clash a little bit while he was there, but then after they were basically begging him to stay, he he shunned them and went to the Houston Rockets. And 
I mean, there's another player that didn't shun them to that degree because he wasn't on their team. But Laker fans, when they're hurt, they're hurt, right? So <laughs> if you see the way Laker fans talk about Paul George right now, for instance, because when LeBron signed, the whole thing was Paul George is coming that summer too. So we're going to get Paul George, we're going to get LeBron, and then we're going to get one other player, AD or Kawhi, and it's going to be over for everybody. And then Paul George, I guess OKC had like a concert and all that. And Paul George signed back with Oklahoma City. So now he is persona non grata to Lakers fans. And I think that's what's poured into Dwight, his own mistakes he's made. Plus, he's messed with the wrong crew of people. Nate, now you are really instrumental behind the marketing campaigns of Damian Lillard. Mm -hmm. First of all, is that the highest level of involvement you've had with any of your clients? I work with Aaron and Eric Goodwin, who have been in the business for about 30 years. As Tom mentioned, they were LeBron's first agents, first two seasons, did his record-setting rookie shoe deal with Nike and a host of other contracts over those two years off the court set the platform for him to take off the second largest rookie shoe deal ever with Kevin Durant a few years later. But before that, they had been working with guys like all these 90 stars from Gary Payton, Jason Kidd, Paul Pierce, all the barrier guys. Yeah. Sharif Abdurrahim, tons of guys. And I've just kind of like worked side by side with them over the years, really cut my teeth with Dwight. Cause when I came in, Dwight and Kevin were our biggest clients. Candace Parker as well, learned doing off the court business with them. And Dame, I've worked with his entire career. I've never been more hands-on with someone and had the experience that I've had working with Dame. Same thing with DeMar. DeMar doesn't do as much off the court business. He's more, some of the stuff he loves doing, some of he doesn't, but Dame is definitely open to all of it. So I've had a ton of experience with that. What makes Dame, I guess, what makes any of these guys great marketers? Because you could say, oh, because best player and they're famous yeah. that should be it but you know having worked with players that some guys are great at this and some guys aren't what's the separator the separator is number one people just have to have a natural personality and confidence right so if you're scared i, I want to sit back one day and just count how many shoots or appearances i've done with these guys but some don't have it at first and then they develop that confidence over time but when you're an nba player you know, you're doing media sessions, especially if you're a star, you're doing media sessions every single night. Yeah. So you're either going to get used to it or it's just going to be a disaster for you for your entire career. So people evolve to that. Like DeMar was not good on camera and in front of all of the media and all that stuff when he first started to evolving to someone that brands want to use and put out in front. He can be a spokesperson for his team and he was won a Magic Johnson award. Right. So it's you can evolve like that. Or it can be a guy like Dame who's come in and from day one, he's just got that personality, that confidence. I don't know if it's because the neighborhood he grew up in, being the youngest and a large family and having to like fight for his own and all that stuff. And then the cherry on top he always talks about is he majored in business sales. Of course, for, <laughs> for that, you have to do a lot of public speaking, pitching, all that stuff. So he took a lot of those classes and he's like, it prepared me for all of this. I'm ready for all of it because I had professors that pushed me to do all this stuff. The names that you've talked about here, clients and players you've worked with, I'm curious your thoughts on how the NBA should market international players that didn't grow up in America. That's exactly what I was, because I was thinking like, Luca's great and Luca's got a fun personality. Clearly he's been around, you talk about the exposure, that he's had the exposure since he was 15 or 16 years old. So why am I not seeing a zillion Luca commercials on TV. Or Giannis or Jokic. This is what I would say. Jokic does not strike me as a guy who's outgoing in the way that Giannis and Luca are. Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, you bring that up and I had a thread on Twitter about Jokic and just how he's become 
arguably the NBA's best player. He might be three-time MVP. I don't think we've had an MVP that's won three in a row since Larry Bird in the 80s. Not even MJ did that. That's going to bring a lot of heat, a lot of attention, all of that. And I don't know if the average sports fan knows who Jokic is. Mm -hmm. And I think a big part of that is as an international player, as a player coming into this landscape, not really interested in immersing himself into all of this beyond what he does for basketball. As soon as the season's over, he goes right back to Serbia with his horses and that's his life. But when you're the head of the table, there are certain responsibilities that that come with that. And the league relies on having their best players out in front. And if you look at any of the commercials that are out right now, Jokic isn't on any of them. He's not in anything, any of the big league partners. And it's obvious because I, I know how the NBA works, that it's not them not wanting to use him. He doesn't want to do it. They wouldn't just avoid utilizing one of their best players if there wasn't some sort of pushback or anything like that. How would you market him based on what you know about him and his game and his story? I think the easiest thing with someone like Jokic is with marketing, you always have to start with PR. So what's his story? What are the five to 10 touch points you're always going to talk about? I don't know Jokic personally, so I can't really dig into that. But beyond that, he's basically the ultimate table setter. Yeah. Why Why is Boban, who obviously is an international player that has a flair for a public persona that mm-hmm. is outgoing and all that stuff, and it's easy to utilize, but why is Boban a guy that's a journeyman in State Farm commercials, <laughs> having assists and everything else. And you've got... And Goldfish and Chime. He's got a portfolio. <laughs> he's got a portfolio of stuff because he's really tall. He's funny and he dives into it. Right. Whereas Jokic hasn't shown you any of that personality. We don't know him at all. We don't know him. Let me present to you two different case studies, right? Number one, do you need the player to participate in the ad in order to build an ad campaign around them. Meaning, is it not possible, particularly for a league partner, to just use existing footage of him with some famous person doing a voiceover and boom, that's your ad? It's just harder to do that. Storytelling is everything. Only reason I can market and help market Damien, for instance, is I can answer questions for him. Mm-hmm. I know his story. I've heard him so many times. I know his family. I know his friends. I know all the childhood stories. I know everything. I know things he want to share versus what he wouldn't want to share. All of that. You need that element of it. Like the storytelling aspect is what makes marketing go. Because I feel like even if they're not comfortable in front of the camera, you can almost play on that. Yes. Like the HEB commercials with Kawhi or yes. Tim Duncan with Nike back in the day. Lil Penny. That was the other thing I was going to say. Is, is it not possible to create an avatar for him? Mm. Lil Joker? Yeah, outsource his personality. Yeah, and I mean, even... I mean. I don't want to assume everyone that's from that region are friends, but you've got this guy, Boban, that people love. Mm -hmm. Why don't you use those two in spots together? I have no idea if they're friends, but that's just tough when you have your top NBA player, your top just supposed to be your draw. What if he's in the finals and he's the guy you got to put out in front? How beyond NBA Twitter nerds and people that love stats and people that are really deep into this, how do you pull the average fan into loving a guy like that? What's the closest comp marketing-wise from across sports, past or present? It's hard for me to speak across sports at this stage because I'm so NBA heavy. As a kid, I I watched everything. If I was going to go to the NBA, I would say it would be the Tim Duncan era. Even though Tim started off on fire on the marketing side, he went to the same agency that Grant Hill started off at Williams and Connolly. Yeah. And they were following the same blueprint. They had him in Sprite commercials. They had him in commercials with David Robinson. 
And then I think he just decided this is not me. I don't want to do it. And he wasn't doing a lot of media or anything like that. And it's kind of the Spurs way at the time. I think the Spurs are opening up a little bit more than they did. But I definitely think it hurt the league. It's like, oh, man, the Spurs are in the championship. (laughs) Even though they were a great team, there's something missing. At the end of the day, basketball is an entertainment business. The NBA is an entertainment business and people have to feel connection to what they're watching in order to want to continue to watch. When we drafted Tim Duncan, I invited him to my home to get ready for the season. He was learning so much. That doesn't count, you were out. The roses are out, Timmy, not the daisies. So one day, you brought this into my home? It's not something I'm proud of. I calmly explained how Edge Pro Gel protects better than foam because it has eight rich lubricants. David Stern, how to make a guy feel comfortable. More lemonade, too? Edge Pro Gel. Save your skin. Roses, Tim, are out of bounds. Go with the gnomes. Gnomes can be out of bounds. (laughs) Exactly. That's a classic commercial. My favorite part of the commercial is he shows up, he's got a suitcase in one hand. Do you remember what he has in the other hand? No. A stuffed animal. (laughs) It looks like a kid that's going away to camp. The funny thing is, I don't necessarily think of David Robinson as this super outgoing public persona. Oh, no, he's very. When we were kids, he was on everything. Pizza Hut, the stuffed crust. I think David Stern's NBA, especially in the 80s and 90s, they really were on these guys. And the guys were more anxious to do it just because the NBA money wasn't what it is today. Mm-hmm. You know, like Jokic is, could make $500 million in his career on the court. Why am I doing commercials? Exactly. I do not care. Right. So that's kind of the dilemma. But as long as the league is marketing players and focused on players in that way, I think it's important to have a guy like that doing those things. I think about Albert Pujols in baseball because he was this machine who didn't have much of a personality and came in not a prospect, came out of nowhere. Yeah. So there was no story coming into Major League Baseball. The stardom was just so sudden. We're like, who is this guy? And he wasn't a big marketer. I don't think he was comfortable English speaking, being a star. And Mike Trout, even even someone who's American, hasn't really hit it off as a star in baseball, even though he might be as good as anybody who picked up a baseball. But Jokic, how much is that? Part of the marketing, it's almost a blessing and a curse that he came as a second round pick that no one knew who he was and he had to kind of create his own story. I almost kind of feel like that might be a leg up. Same thing with Giannis is that we have that backstory with Giannis that he came in as a little scrawny kid and then developed into this monster. And then Jokic is this fat kid. He's this fat kid that no one really knew and then developed into the best passer ever. Yeah, but that, again, is storytelling and cooperation that would probably have to come from Jokic and his side in order to be able to tell those stories. So unless I'm missing it, I can't think of one single, not even an NBA Cares ad, not even like an actual NBA brand ad that's featured Jokic. He's kind of out of the loop. So I'm curious on all of it. I saw Rachel Nichols chimed into my Twitter thread. And it was like, it seems like he just doesn't want to do this stuff. And she was like, yes. So I'm <laughs> assuming that she's been turned down for interviews and all that stuff. Rachel would know. I think you got to just go through the brothers. Yes. <laughs> you bring in the brothers, like the Gronks. Yeah. We had all the Gronk ads. Brothers are having a moment. The Mannings. Cooper. The Kelsey's started a podcast and went to the Super Bowl to play each other. If the brothers are with it, I'm sure Nicola would be with it, but who knows? It's just interesting to me. I think I've gotten on my high horse about this a few times, but the era that we're in, in the NBA, as someone that's been a fan and now a part of the extended NBA family through what I do in business, we're getting more and more, and maybe it's just a reflection of society in general, but more and more focused on the individual and how you feel and not into the community that 
provides for everyone, right? So if it goes from NBA teams, just all wanting to load manage and not be clear about how they're communicating around load management, mm. a player that doesn't think they have to do marketing, player that doesn't think they have to do media, all of those things, it starts to pile up. Let me ask you that, Nate, because I know you and I have talked about this before. Technically, no one has to do media other than availability. Yeah. But overall, that hurts the game and it hurts the business, right? Because as you said, it is an entertainment business. Do you think it's detrimental for the individual beyond earning capacity? Jokic, for example, let's leave the money part. Oh, you're, you're leaving money on the table from all these marketing opportunities. Do you think it's detrimental to him, his legacy, for not participating in these extracurriculars? Possibly. The numbers are going to speak for themselves when you go back and look at it. But fans carry water. Fans and media carry water for these players, right? They're your advocates. So that connection, it helps. It does help. But I think in terms of questioning what he does on the court, if he continues to do what he's doing for the next 10 years and wins a championship, I don't think anyone's going to question who he is or what he's doing. It's just tough when he's in this stratosphere of winning an MVP three straight times. That's a different category of player. I mean, even Larry Bird, the hick from French Lick, was doing commercials and putting himself out there. He was himself, right. but he was in spots. He wasn't the corporate champ all of a sudden wearing suits and things like that, but he, he was out there. Counterpoint, I think about Kareem. And even though Kareem did movies and Kareem did commercials, Kareem was very standoffish. He didn't open himself up to the media. He didn't open himself up to fans. And as a result, you could say in terms of opportunities working in the league, when Kareem has sought them, there haven't been the choicest of them. No. And I don't think he's remembered the way he should be remembered. Even when you talk about his Laker legacy, he's kind of ah, shoved to the side. Part of that is his doing, right? The polar opposite of Magic Johnson, who poured his soul almost into creating the mythology of Magic. It's the same thing with Michael. I remember reading a, an article on Michael, I think it was in like Cigar Aficionado magazine 20 years ago yeah. or something after he retired. And he talks about how he made sure that he had a suit on when he came off the bus. They could be on a back-to-back, -back, getting off the bus at 3 a.m., and he's like, I am the representative of this global empire. I'm the number one guy. I recognize that. And this might be the only time someone sees me in person. I'm going to present myself in the best fashion, even if I don't feel like it. With the baggiest of suits. Yeah, exactly. I feel like there's a thread of that missing from the league. And it's not just players. It goes across the board. Everyone is just like, why? I don't have to do that. I'll do it my way. This is best for us. This is what we're doing. These guys can't play back-to-backs. We don't have to do this. We're going to do what we want to do. That's the thing that's so prominent in the league right now. And then Kareem, back to your point, I don't blame him. You know, coming up in the era that he came in, the things that he dealt with, you talk about guys like him and Bill Russell. <laughs> I get why they <laughs> operated the way that they did back then. Bill, as he got older and became the elder statesman, started to open up. Mm -hmm. Kareem doesn't really have that personality like that. Mm -hmm. He's more of a to-himself listen to his jazz, drink his wine, and write. That's how he expresses himself and shows himself to the world. Whereas Bill, it feels like he really was muting his real personality because he was just pissed off, frustrated, whatever else. And then when he was able to grow out of that, he became this beloved figure by everybody, right? Yeah. It's interesting to see where Kareem is at, but it, a lot of it has to do with his just general personality overall. And it has affected him and how people talk about him. I remember the first time I met Kareem was right before the jump. 
I was on with Rachel and Gina was out there and she was like, hey, you know who's going to be on the show today? And I was like, no, who's, who's it going to be? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I was like, Kareem? Kareem is going to be on the set today? He's in the green room if you want to say hi. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to go meet Kareem. This is going to be amazing. And I open up the green room door and Kareem looks asleep in the chair. He's just meditating before air. And I was like, oh my God, do I say hi? What do I do? And it was just this awkward, like, hey, I'm Tom. And I just waited by the door to meet him. This was a few years ago, right before he goes on air, he's meditating in the green room. That was my first interaction with Kareem. Perfect. We were talking about from the start, you have to have the personality for it. You can't force it. It's just tough business-wise if you're the face of the league and you can't do those things or you're uncomfortable doing those things or whatever. We've seen people break down and have issues with it. And you can't really knock them if they are. When you go back to Ricky Williams and football, like him interacting with the media back then, I mean, he had his helmet on, like he he had anxiety around it. So some are just not built for it. And I feel for them. It's just tough as a business, as a brand, as an entertainment entity to have someone that doesn't want to do any of that. So I want to ask you about load management because we had Marcus Elliott from P3 last week and Amin Mays and I, we talked about Stan Van Gundy's tweet and the conversation about players taking off games to either rest or to load manage, to nurse an injury and the impact it has on fans where we see the Jimmy Butler situation in Miami was TNT in a big night in the NBA. And that becomes the number one story is this fan who just happened to be seen for the game with the sign, I traveled. The scammer. I <laughs> mean, <laughs> means keeping his third eye open on this dude. I'm telling y'all, man, don't sit around here and think, oh, he got a sign. This kid been going to games all over the country with the same sign. Talking about, you my favorite player. Like, get out of here, man. I don't seen these heists over and over again. <laughs> Guy gives his kids like, oh, here, get this sign and get this. And like, oh, LeBron, can you please sign my And like, oh, everyone's like, oh. And then as soon as LeBron walks away, wherever the player walks away, kid turns around like, here you go. And he's like, here you go, kid. Here's five bucks. Don't spend it all in one place. <laughs> I mean, you sound like Austin Powers going, that's not a woman. That's a man, man. <laughs> It's a man, baby. Why won't this wig come off? Yeah, that's what you're going to be doing to this kid, this innocent kid. Punch a kid right in the face. You punch a kid. It's not a kid. It's a scammer. It's Brad Williams. (laughs) Yeah, you know, when it comes to load management, it's interesting to see the development and the coverage of it, right? So the players are getting blamed for this stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, number one, you do not understand the way the inner workings of this works. This came in as a new age new front office, new medical staffs. They're the ones that have pushed this data, pushed this belief system and have started to load manage. And now we have an official name for it. There's more of a protocol about how you're supposed to announce it, how many hours before a game. But the truth is, and it's very obvious if you're paying attention to this, for certain players, they have preset ideas of what they're doing, load managing them throughout the season. So my only issue is, Right now, it's an if you know, you know situation where you're like, oh, yeah, this guy's not going to play back to backs all year, but they don't actually officially announce it. Mm -hmm. So if you're just a regular fan, you have no idea you're buying the tickets because you're like, oh, Steph Curry's going to play here or this guy's going to play here. Why doesn't the league be transparent about that or not the league, but the league force teams to be transparent about that? If you know that you're going to be load managing these guys, certain players designate the games they're not playing. Say it out loud. It's going to suck for the ticket sales for those particular games. 
But what it will do is enhance fan trust. Mm. Right now, people feel like they're being handed <laughs> a bag of shit, basically, right? Like you think you're going to see Stephen Curry, who is healthy, and they decided not to play because of whatever this load management philosophy is. I just think that's wrong, especially when you can communicate that much earlier before people spend their hard-earned money on that stuff. Is Adam Silver too nice? Yeah. I don't know Adam personally. I'm not talking about the day-to-day demeanor. I'm talking <laughs> about the way he runs the league. I guess some people could argue that. Stern was obviously a, took a different approach to managing the league. I think even he would have trouble with the momentum that all the various parties have built in this media age, right? So we used to have a few powerful media entities, much more easier to control the narrative. Now, anybody with a Twitter following, I'm sure you guys have covered this already, but it's just like the Memphis stat story that got out of control because some random person on Reddit made it into a thing. It's just so much harder to compete with everybody having an ability to get on this pulpit and make noise around it. So I don't know if I can necessarily judge him about being too nice. I definitely think he takes an approach that's different than Stern. I just don't know how Stern would have handled this era of media where he couldn't be this tyrant titan, right? It's just a different time. It's it's comparing apples and oranges. I remember in, I think it was 2016, Adam Silver came out with a big statement saying, we're going to find every team that rests star players. I believe it was like up to a million dollars or something like that, where if you, if you don't follow with the protocols and you rest the star player, especially on a big national TV game. That's when it really came to a head was when Steve Kerr was resting Warriors players and LeBron James was taking off national TV games. That's when it became a huge story. Yeah. David Stern might've been like, we're going to actually punish people. The league has been very soft on that. And I remember talking with the league at one point and saying, have you find any team for DNP rest, even though they do it all the time? And behind back channels, they were explaining to me that they had fulfilled their duties behind the scenes. And so they couldn't necessarily slap them with a big fine. But I wonder how much of it is David Stern would have actually dropped the hammer on some of these teams for doing this. I feel like these teams that are doing load management now are fulfilling what the current policy is. My thing is the current policy is inadequate. Yeah. If you can see a pattern, take the Clippers. You can see a pattern. Kawhi is not going to play back to backs. Just say that. Just say it. And you can denote it on the schedule. You can be uber transparent about this with fans so they don't get stuck. Or even if a load management policy develops during the year. Okay, Steph Curry no longer is playing back-to-backs. He's not playing back-to-backs the rest of the year. Or he's not playing back-to-backs in March. Whatever it is, just be 100% transparent with your customer. That's the only thing that I think is important. So we're going to be transparent here. You're a co-founder of Move In Souls. The insert that you can put into a shoe, whether it's casually like walking around all day or the pro, which you can use, you know, on the court. How was this not invented before that you've been in this space working with athletes and shoe deals and you come to a eureka moment in your own personal life, Nate, just reading up on it, that you were playing pickup hoops and had some battles with plantar fasciitis and was just like, man, do I really got it? My option is Dr. Scholl's? Orthotics. But that's the funny thing is when Nate first told me about it, I was like, oh, like orthotics, right? Which in the NBA, every player has orthotics. I don't think fans understand. Every single NBA player, they don't use the regular insole that the sneakers come in. They pull that out. They put their own one in there. And that's what they play with. And I think every great business idea starts with like a very simple premise, which is why don't we just have this, but for everybody. So 
How did this lightning bolt hit you, Nate? Yeah, it's just all of my worlds coming together. You know, I'm a wash pickup hooper at this stage, <laughs> being 42 years old, but I still love to play when I can. And probably about early 2019, I was revving up playing, getting back to in shape playing basketball. And I had crazy plantar fasciitis. Had to go down the rabbit hole of consumer journey of trying to find things to make it better, find an insert, all that stuff. Just dealing with Dr. Scholes and the stuff that was easily accessible. I was just like, man, the, the branding on this, the product, everything is subpar and no young person would ever want to be associated with this or affiliated with this. I'm, you know, at this time, almost 40 <laughs> when, I, when I was dealing with this and I didn't want to be associated with it. I'm like, this basically denotes that I'm washed. Yeah. You're like in the corner, slipping it in, like yeah. making sure no one sees you. Yeah. You're at the CVS. Like you don't want anyone to see you, you purchasing that kind of thing. <laughs> some rubbers and some tampons. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, just, just buying rubbers and tampons. No, nothing to see here. Exactly. Going through that experience. And then also knowing that NBA players, as Amin mentioned, a majority of them wear either some sort of custom orthotic, which is you know super expensive, usually like $300 plus, or they have an insert that they put in. And a lot of the reasons that that happens is the sneaker companies, even though they make great sneakers, the one area that they cut corners on for margin is on the insole. They usually put these things, they're not even called insoles, they're called sock liners that they have in the shoes. There's no podiatry or biomechanic aspect to them whatsoever. They're just to basically have like that step in comfort with whatever shoe you buy. Yeah. So knowing that, knowing that it was a, it was a big secret in sports, almost like the last piece of authentic equipment for athletes that hadn't been marketed. I thought that there was a real opportunity to tell that story and the connection, especially for younger athletes. Now that, you know, we're talking about load management and the amount of hours that these players are playing at an early age, even if little Timmy isn't going to end up playing college basketball, he's going on that journey. Like he's playing college basketball. Eventually the parents are taking him on to every youth game, AAU game, high school game, travel team, all of that. Some of these travel games, these kids are playing three and four games in a weekend, you're going to have AAU load management soon. <laughs> Did not play load management for the EYBL squad. That there was an opportunity to, to launch not only something for this insoles category and space to, to help athletes that are dealing with those things, but to create a new athletic health, wellness, and performance brand. And it's been going well. Dame is a co-founder in the company. Chris Paul is a key investor and ambassador in the company. Jamal Crawford, same thing. And we have about six NBA players that are involved in the company at this time. Talk about secrets in the NBA. If you watch like a video of a player giving his shoes to a fan courtside, what do they do right before that? They pull their custom orthotics because they need them for they can't play without them. <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense. I don't know if you've, if you've seen, I mean, obviously, if you watch TNT, you've seen Shaq roast himself the king of self-deprecation, but he's roasted himself a few times over his feet. Like his feet are jacked. Mm -hmm. I think he played 19 seasons at 300 pounds and people stepping on his feet. He played through a turf toe in 2002 that people still give him shit for, for some reason. Cause it's the toe. We talked about this in a prior episode that turf toe has the worst PR agent ever, because what a bad name. <laughs> we need Nate Jones on the turf toe marketing. Yeah, new name. That shit is painful. And it's way worse than like stubbing your toe. Way worse. I mean, Derek Rose basically tore his ACL because he was dealing with the turf toe injury that he was trying to play through. Like that biomechanic stuff put him in a bad position. And all this stuff is interconnected. You see these NBA players, their their feet are mangled. Your feet take a beating as an athlete. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was there was an opportunity to bring a brand to the table really focused on that. And so far it's been it's been outstanding in terms of that. And we we started in basketball because that's you know what I have the connections to. It made a lot of sense to go after that large grassroots market. 
Now we're also starting to market to girls grassroots volleyball. I don't know how familiar you guys are with that, but that probably is the hottest sport for young ladies at this stage. And then we're starting to do the just general person. I know Tom mentioned that, but we launched our first casual product called All Day for everyone that loves wearing retros and all the shoes that have that heritage and that cool factor, but aren't necessarily comfortable. I know Amin is Mr. Retro over there. I don't know how you continue to do it without some sort of help. <laughs> I'll be honest, man. Maybe something wrong with my feet, but I find Jordan 1s and Jordan 4s and Air Max 90s and Air Max 1s to be incredibly comfortable. As is. Oh, you're crazy. <laughs> this is when we learn that Amin's feet are completely flat on the bottom. He's lost all feeling in his feet. His, <laughs> his bones have turned into flubber. Yes. But like the Giannis ones, when I saw you at Summer League, Nate, yeah. I was wearing those Giannis's and I was like, tell me you have a pair on you right now because these shoes are killing me. Yeah. The newer shoes, basketball shoes, not flying it or something like that. But like the sneakers that you wear on court, they are a menace for me. I, I need insoles for those. Yeah, I would say I wouldn't wear performance shoes really off the court that much. They're really built to lock you in and protect you in that way. So you're not going to feel the same as wearing something that has a, a wider toe box or is a big has that has more room in it. Right. Mm -hmm. But the flat foot aspect of and just the hardness aspect of some of those older shoes. I mean, if you go on Twitter and search Air Force One uncomfortable, it's crazy. There's, it's just people going, I can't quit you. <laughs> I don't know why I continue to buy Air Force Ones because, you know, they look dope. They go with everything, but they're hella uncomfortable. You can do similar searches for all the top heritage sneakers from, you know, Adidas Stan Smiths and forums to Jordan 4s. There's actually a guy on TikTok. He did a video where he took off his Jordan 4s and his toes started singing like Maxwell because they were so happy they finally <laughs> were off his feet. <laughs> so it's it's like this secret that everyone knows, but like people just live with it because sneaker culture is a big part of culture. So we're kind of solving that problem, unlocking that modern comfort and support for people that love wearing that type of stuff. I'm always fascinated by this space because I remember covering LeBron James when they used to go head to head against the Pacers with the heat and LeBron at the peak LeBron, the biggest star in the world could not get shoes that fit right or felt right with Nike. He was leaving at halftime or leaving in the second quarter, switch out his shoes from like, was it the 11s maybe? Yeah, it was a LeBron 11. And he was just so frustrated that his shoes weren't working right. And I'm like, this dude is the most famous, most high-performing athlete in the world, and he still has layman issues with his feet and shoes. I don't have the inside track on that, but I, what I know about the LeBron 11 is the LeBron 11 was a what they call a, a drop-in midsole shoe, so that's how that shoe was designed from the jump. You can't put custom orthotics or any kind of insert in drop-in midsole systems. It's just an awkward fit. Mm. So they probably had to modify the shoe in order for him to be able to put that in. And it just probably was just a train wreck trying to get it right. So if your signature athlete wears orthotics, insoles, any of that stuff, designing a drop in midsole shoe for them is tough. That often is the case where you, you see this mismatch across the NBA sometimes where a guy is, especially with team shoes that aren't necessarily their signature, you'll see them marketing a particular shoe and then they don't wear the shoe in the game because it fit is everything. You fit and comfortability is everything. And they're just... A lot of times it's just marketers that have taken a shoe and go, oh, which athlete is hot right now? Let's put this person in it. And then they hate the shoe and they won't want to wear it. Tabo Cephalosha famously wore Air Max 90s. It is not a basketball shoe at all whatsoever. 
How much modification do you think was happening on the inside of that shoe? I honestly don't think he had. I mean, he's not a signature guy. The only players they really modify shoes for at all is Matt Bonner. No, signature <laughs> athletes. God damn. Signature top all-star, all-NBA level guys. Guys that have a, that get a logo on their shoes are the only ones that are getting that kind of treatment. Adidas has an athlete services department that they extend help out to for a lot of athletes. Nike has, you know, a similar thing. Can't speak to the rest of the brands because I don't I haven't worked with them as much, but really it's it's the focus of the top guys. So if you don't if you don't have that, you're just trying to figure out a way to make it work. Is there a status symbol amongst NBA players about who has access to those athlete services with Adidas or Nike? Like, is it a VIP club that is like a badge of honor? If you're a signature athlete, if you have a logo on your shoe, they call it player exclusives or player additions that go to retail. They call it, you know, statement shoe. If you're one of those guys, that's bragging rights. I don't think people are like digging into, oh my gosh, they modified his shoe for him or whatever else. <laughs> a secret, for instance, is, People are probably wondering why Kyrie is still wearing Nikes. He's just putting black tape over him and whatever else. His shoes have been modified. So he's got this big, crazy shank in his shoe that he's not going to just go to some other brand and wear an off-the-shelf shoe. And if he's not under contract with them and they're not making money from the business relationship, why would they go through all the trouble and expenses of, of building a shoe specifically for him? So that's probably why you still continue to see that. So your feet... And the experience underfoot is super important. So we've developed this product that isn't custom. No mom is spending $300 on a pair of orthotics that cost more than a sneaker, but it has data from the top podiatry firm in pro sports. So all the data that comes when they build these custom orthotics, we've been able to get this shape that's basically the average of where your foot should be placed. Mm. And it works for about 85% of the population. There's always that 10 to 15% that need custom no matter what. But for the majority of athletes, an insert like ours, a premium insert like ours that has this data and has the proper arch support works just fine. And e even some athletes that have access to custom orthotics just don't like custom because they're a little too rigid, a little too bulky. So for instance, and this information is what helped me launch the brand as well. Damian Lillard had plantar fasciitis his fourth season. And they were trying to put him in a custom fit and he just didn't like it. They had to just try to find something over the counter. So I knew that there was a space there to really make over the counter premium. Well, thank you for sharing all the truths and the secrets on that. And if you're not getting the Jokic deal anytime soon, I think it's around the corner. It's got to be that Nate Jones is going to be taking over Jokic's The Ascension. <laughs> Jokic might be super, super happy with his life as is. That's what I'm assuming. <laughs> so there's no use for me. I just feel bad for the business operations of the league and the growth of the league. I always say I'm like Varys from Game of Thrones. He was all about just protecting the realm and, and making sure the realm was okay. And for me, I love the NBA. I love working closely to the NBA and all of that. And I want to see this entity continue to grow. And there's certain things that happen that I'm just like, okay, well, what happens if this guy is the dominant figure for the next 10 years? And he's not doing any of the stuff that you usually do to get people excited about him. So we'll see what happens though. Appreciate you, Nate. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate you.
professional wrestling is all about continued storytelling from they tap into stuff that happened like mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30 years ago. A lot of the guys are second, third generation wrestlers in WWE right now. The thing that they're building for WrestleMania is Cody Rhodes, who is Dusty Rhodes' son, youngest son. And his brother was also a wrestler, Dustin Rhodes, a.k.a. Gold Dust. Right. <laughs> and <then> you got, <laughs> So you got like that family story. And then the Curry's. You have this guy, Roman Reigns, who's the head of the table right now. He's the biggest heel. He's the bad guy. He's half Samoan. Went to Georgia Tech, right? Yeah, I think he did. Wow. Great pull. His entire family had been in the wrestling business. He's like a cousin of The Rock, his cousin of Yokozuna. Mm. So this whole head of the table family storyline is about his family and what they went through and what they're doing. And his cousins are in the crew and it's a whole thing. And now you have Cody Rhodes coming. This is how they storytell. It's all family connection. And if you missed all of that and you're just jumping in, you're like, I don't get it. What's going on kind of thing, right? As a non-wrestling fan, I was pretty shocked like two years ago to discover that The Rock was a villain. I just assumed he had to have been a hero. Oh. What, what happens in wrestling is when they try to push you as a good guy, the fans hate it. So every time that they've tried to push someone out the gate as like super good, they turn on them. Yeah. So The Rock had a character. They call him baby faces. They tried to make him like, goody, goody. Oh, I love everyone. I sign autographs for everyone. They booed him out of the building. So because they booed him so much, they had him join a faction called the Nation of Domination. <laughs> and he became a bad guy. Yes. And he started talking in the third person. 20, 25 years later, it's led to him becoming the most famous actor in the world. It was this, the launch pad for that. Everyone started liking him because he got to do cool stuff because he was a heel. He got to do the stuff that the baby face doesn't get to do. And then they turned him because everyone cheered for him too much. If you smell, pop, boom. But he got to keep the same attitude and be a good guy. And that's what carried him. Like when they try to force you as a over the top good guy, it doesn't work. The same thing happened with Roman Reigns. Roman Reigns came in as someone that they were trying to push over the top, same thing as The Rock. The fans booed him. They booed him no matter what they tried. Now they finally made him a bad guy, and he's the biggest star in wrestling right now. 